Hi, church. How are you doing today? Good. Great to see you, friends and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I have the opportunity today to open up God's Word as Pastor Stephen is uh, on vacation this week and uh, with his family in, on the East Coast, a family event there. So um, I'm excited for that opportunity, and it is a privilege. Of, oftentimes, you'll see me leading worship uh, with a guitar or with a piano or a keyboard, and it's one of my joys and delights and my passion of my heart is to lead us in corporate worship. Uh, but I'm grateful for Pastor Meredith and the team that uh, constantly is here serving faithfully week in and week out. So if you get a chance and you see one of our members of the worship team, just say, hey, thanks so much. We really appreciate uh, all you do because it is a, a great uh, um, opportunity to encourage them, and uh, I'm thankful for each and every one of them. Well, open up your Bibles to First John, that's towards the end of the Bible, right before Revelation, and it's a book that we're going to be studying. We've been in the book of Colossians now for a little over seven months, uh, as Pastor Stephen has been teaching through that, uh, but we're going to take a break from that today and look at a passage of Scripture that I'm excited to share with you, because to me, this is a section of Scripture that I remember when I first heard it, it really changed how I thought about God. It really changed how I lived my life. And it really changed how God used it to allow me to understand who he is and who I am in light of him. And so as we dig in here, uh, hopefully you've gotten a chance to turn there, uh, you can pull out your bulletin. The title of our message today is God is Light, Walk in Him. So would you pray with me before we get started? Father, what a joy it is today to gather together and to honor you, Lord, Thank you for the privilege it is to sing praise to you. You tell us to do that in your word. And Lord, we do that with our full hearts to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. And now we worship you through the teaching of your word. And I just pray that, uh, Lord, I'll get out of the way (laughs) and that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be our teacher today through the power of your word and the truths that you want us to learn. So we commit our time to you, Lord, and as we prepare our hearts for communion, And remembering the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we pray that, Lord, uh, you would be glorified through it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, like I said, we've been studying the book of Colossians, and the apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians, but when we turn to 1 John, we have a different author. And so you might, over the course of our message today, and if you like the Gospel of John, or 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, or even Revelation, you'll recognize it's a different way he writes. And you'll pick up on that. But, you know, before we get, dig into the actual passage, here's a few facts about the Apostle John that you may not know. Number one is that some scholars say he was initially a follower of John the Baptist. You pick that up in John 1.35. Secondly, did you know that the Apostle John was a first cousin of Jesus Christ? John's mother was Salome, Salome Mary's sister. Thirdly, did you know that uh, the Apostle John spent three years as a disciple of Jesus Christ and one of his inner circle, there was Peter, James, and John. Those are the special three that Jesus took as his inner circle. And then you also may know next uh, that the Apostle John was known as a disciple whom Jesus loved and that they had a very special relationship and you pick that up through his writings And lastly, you might know that he wrote not only the Gospel of John, but he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Revelation toward the end of the first century. And so there's a little bit about the the Apostle John there that uh, is important. But John was recognizing a problem. He said, Houston, we've got a problem. And I see it happening in the church. 
And the problem was is that false teaching was creeping in and infiltrating the church. The false teaching was the Gnostics and the Gnosticism that they were uh, proliferating. And they believed, some of the things that they believed was that Jesus was not a human. He didn't come in the flesh, but he was a spirit being. And that sin in general was inconsequential. They separated the flesh from the spirit. And so to them, sin was not a big deal. They also taught that a person could achieve righteousness through special knowledge or revelation. And the Apostle John was saying, this is not good. I've got to help my brothers and sisters know the truth. And so he wrote this letter with those thoughts in mind. You'll pick that up as we read through this and the rest of the the letter as you go on there. And his first letter, 1 John, addresses these issues to remind believers of the truth. So let's read this passage together. And you can turn in your Bibles. We'll also have the verses overhead on the screen. But it says this, 1 John 5, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 22. He writes this, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, this is chapter two, verse one. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So as we look at our outline, point number one is this. I'm going to go ahead and give you the fill-in, and we'll explain it here in just a moment. But point number one is God is light, or God's light is perfect and pure. God's light is perfect and pure, and we are to walk in it not in darkness. Now, of all the people to give us this message that God is light, the Apostle John is perfect because he had an experience with God. Now, he knew God. He knew God. He obviously was related to Jesus Christ, but he also had an experience with Jesus that only he and Peter and James had because it says, tells us in Matthew 17 that what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration Now, if you don't know what that is, we're going to read that just so you understand what this is significance of this event. So it says this, Matthew 17, 1 through 9, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, that's the apostle John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. 
And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the son of man has risen from the dead. Now Peter, James, and John were allowed to see just a glimmer of the radiance of God's glory that Jesus was transfigured before him. Have you heard of the phrase, Jesus is God in a bod? He's, he basically is a person, he is God, but wrapped in skin. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, he just peeled back just a little bit, and the glory of God came out. So it was an event that they never, ever forgot. Can you imagine, over the years, John, Tell us about the transfiguration again. Tell us again. And people would sit on the edge of their seats listening to this story. What an amazing experience. And so John's the perfect one to tell us, as he does in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light. Now, he mentions at the beginning of 1 John, the part right before what we just read, he even says, hey, let me tell you about that God is light. What's interesting, before I read that, is that in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have section, a portion of that passage on the transfiguration, but in the book of John, who was one of the three that was there, he doesn't mention it outright. Now, we're going to see in a second that he does, but he does say this at the beginning of 1 John. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus Christ. And the life was manifest, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. You see, the Apostle John was an eyewitness to that transfiguration, and so he wanted to assure his readers, unlike the false teaching that they had heard, that Jesus was not only God 100%, but that he was 100% man. Did you catch that? He said, I've seen it, I've heard it, and we have touched him, and that he was real. And so right away, he dismantles the, the false teaching that was happening and remember what the Spirit inspired John to write in John chapter 1, verse 14. We, we read this around Christmas time. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that is Jesus Christ. So back to our passage in 1 John. John declares right off the bat, verse 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness uh, at all. Now, just to help us out a little bit, I've got a little light bulb here. This is kind of cool. Yeah. How many people have gone uh, camping without a flashlight before? Not a good idea, okay? You can borrow my light if you need to. I did it before, and let me tell you, uh, I think I stubbed my toe about 10 times and ran into a tree. So don't do that. Light is very helpful for us, right? If we didn't have the lights in here, we'd be in the dark. And so we're grateful but the light that John is talking about is not necessarily physical light. We have the sun every day, although today's kind of weird, right? No sun, it's behind the clouds, typical. Pacific Northwest summer day, right? <laughs> Humid as can be though, right? But the, the light that God is, is not what we normally see. It is something a little different. 
It's supernatural, and that's important for us. In fact, as I've studied this, I realize there's two aspects to the light of God. There's the physical light of God, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment, and then there's the spiritual light of God. So here, I'm going to give you a few cross-references. We're going to go through this. I hope you can write them down. Look them up later. It will help you. But number one is the aspect of God is physical light. Yes, God is light. John says that. In fact, there are scriptures. First one is Psalm 104, verses 1 to 2. It provides us with an interesting aspect of God in respect to light. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. So, if as we look at John says, God is light, the psalmist here is saying not only is God light, but he clothes himself with yeah. And then we go on to see in that passage in 1 John, it says that in him there is no darkness at all, meaning that the light that God is is perfect, pure, and holy. Unlike any light that we, we see, our sun is diminishing in its power. Over time, it's eventually going to run out of energy, but God's light is not like that. Then we go on to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 4, and this is, gives us even deeper insight when it says this. His radiance, God's radiance, is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. So God is light. He wraps himself in light. His light is perfect, pure, and holy, and even with that, it's hiding his true power. Now, we can understand that God's light is powerful. It's supernatural, but this verse says it must be hidden that it hides its true power. Well, why is that, Pastor Jay? You may be asking. Well, this last verse that we're gonna look at tells us why. Because 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16 says this. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's right, God's perfect and pure light, the light he dwells in is so powerful, it is described here as unapproachable. Think with me for a minute. What does that word unapproachable mean? Well, there's a few instances I could think of. Let's say you wanted to go tell the President of the United States, you know, just tell him a few things, give him a few pointers on how to run the country, okay? Maybe a few of you might be interested in that. Could you just go up and waltz up to our President and do that? No, <laughs> he has numerous uh, guards and security officers, secret service, etc. In order to do that, you would have to go through rounds and rounds and rounds of security, making sure that you're not there for other reasons. And, you know, and even then, more than likely, you're not going to see. So he, in a sense, is unapproachable. Here's another example. Let's say you wanted to go into an underground vault that was filled with nuclear waste. I wouldn't do it. I'd stay as far away from there as possible. I'd consider that unapproachable, right? And although we're talking about God's supernatural light, there have been two instances that in a very small way represent that kind of powerful light that God represents or it shows who he is. Do you know what those are? At the end of World War II, two atomic bombs were dropped that they say that when they hit ground zero, 
the people that within a 10 mile radius, they didn't disintegrate, they just ceased to exist because the light was so powerful. Now we've, horrible, horrible thing, right? But take, ramp that up a thousand million times to understand that we cannot just be in God's presence because his light is powerful. He is unapproachable. Now I've shared these things because I want you to know that we should not be casual with God. When we go to him in prayer, let's go with reverence, understanding that we're talking to the, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, the one who hides his true power because we couldn't handle it. You shouldn't say, hey God, how's it going? I've got a bone to pick with you, God. You're mistaken, <laughs> my friend. Don't, don't do that. God is not someone you should treat like that. But we should give him the utmost respect because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So that's the physical aspect of God's light. Here's the spiritual part of that. And you probably heard this before, but in Psalm 119, verse 130, it says this, the unfolding of your word, that's the Bible, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Jesus himself in John's gospel said this. He said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that I'm gonna give light. And in John chapter one, verses nine and 10, it says this, there was the true light, he's referring to Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And so there you have some descriptions of the spiritual light that Jesus, the son of God, brought into the world. In fact, the Bibles that you hold in your hands today are evidence of God's spiritual light that has made itself known to us through the ancient words ever true. And you may know 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. And so the question is, is what was man's reaction to this spiritual light? The truth from God himself. Sadly, John 3 tells us. It says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, how many people, uh, you guys are familiar with searchlights? You know those lights that go like this and go like this? I remember as a kid, uh, my, my family, we used to work at a carnival. It was to help uh, families with cerebral palsy and dealing with that as fundraiser type of thing. But it was like about a 45 minute drive. And I'll tell you, I kept looking as a kid for those searchlights because as soon as I saw them, I knew we were getting close. And ever since I've been so fascinated by searchlights, I think they're so cool. But imagine grabbing the rim of one of those searchlights and peeking your head over into the, the barrel of that. When that thing is on, what would happen to you? <laughs> Nothing good, right? More than likely, your eyeballs will never see again. You're gonna burn them right out of their sockets. Again, that's just an idea here, that the light that God is illuminates, but it also is dangerous. And so we gotta understand and treat God with reverence and understanding. 
But here's the reason why that is, is because of our sin. Sin is the reason why we hide from God. Did you hear that just a moment ago? Light came in the world and men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Adam and Eve, they hid from God after they disobeyed him and we do the same when we sin. You see, sin, your sin, my sin, is a big deal to God. And that leads us to point number two on your outline. Sin is our biggest problem and forgiveness only comes through confession and repentance. Sin is our biggest problem and forgiveness only comes through confession and repentance. In fact, it is sin that separates us from God. Remember, God is holy, perfect, and pure. We are not. Sin truly is our biggest problem and will keep us from going to heaven if we don't do something about it. And the Apostle John addresses this very issue in our text. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that leads me to the question. Church, what is sin? You know, we talk about it a lot, but do we really know what sin is? And if it's so bad for us, then don't you think we should know exactly what it is so that we can avoid it? I think so. So the Greek word, this may or may not help you at all, but it's harmatia. But it literally means missing the mark. And I think we can understand this. How many people here today like to shoot at targets with some type of ammunition? Okay, I see a few hands. Go ahead, you can raise your hands, it's all right. Okay. Well, if that's you, then you know exactly what I'm talking about here when it comes to missing the mark. Here's our first illustration. You probably recognize what that is. It's a target, right? Now, when you're shooting at a target, what are you aiming for? Let's say it all together. You're aiming for the, that's right, that red mark right in the middle, right? Now, if I get out there on the, right, on the range, and I remember as a kid, man, rifle, uh, merit badge was my, rifle shooting merit badge was my absolute favorite. I remember at 10 years old, I got to shoot at 22. It was so cool. I still remember the smell of the powder, right, of the gunshots. It was so, I just remember it was so invigorating as a kid. And when we got done, our targets looked a lot like that, right? The bullets were everywhere. They're everywhere, except the bullseye. And I remember taking it down, and we compared our shots for, like, the rest of the camp, and hopefully the next day we'd do better, but you know, I never was a really good shot. But that's important because, really important because this reminds us that we miss the mark. God, God calls us to live a life that is pure, perfect, and holy. But our problem is our sin, right? Our greatest problem is what? Our sin. We miss the mark. That, in essence, is how you and I live our lives. Sometimes we get closer to the bullseye, but sometimes we're way off. I'm sure, you know, if I was shooting some of the bullets, you wouldn't even see on there because they're off to the side. But at times, isn't that how life is? Now, that bullseye represents perfect obedience to God's commands. Doing every time exactly what God calls us to do. We just don't get there. Because you may know the truth of Romans 3.23, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us as humans born with a sinful nature can ever completely obey 100% 
of God's commandments for our life. Our sinful nature simply makes that impossible. We sin, it's in our nature. In fact, Romans 6.26 takes it further and says that the wages of sin or the payment, the result of sin is death. See, our sin not only separates us from God because he is holy, righteous, and pure and cannot, cannot tolerate sin in his presence, but sin also brings not only physical death, but worse than that, spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. The payment we get for sinning is death. Now, I wouldn't want that for anyone, would you? I hope not. So it's true that our biggest problem is sin, not hitting the target. It's not about hitting the target on a piece of paper, but it's about living for God. But thankfully, I know someone who has lived a perfect life and hit the mark every time. Do you? This someone I know lived every day of his life without sinning. That's... That is something that none of us could ever do, and of course, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if he was shooting on a rifle range forever, that's what his target would look like, right? Every time he shot, he would hit it right on the mark without ever missing. And so that's important, thankfully, that he lived it. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that was so helpful for me to understand that people in general, because of their sinful nature, think that their living life the way they want to pleases God. But he says, no, 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 I've got a very specific way I want you to live. And maybe you've heard this saying before. Sin will take you further than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's so true. Sin is just like cancer in our lives. We may not see the end result at first, but it aggressively spreads and affects more and more healthy tissue if it is left untreated. And like cancer, it must be dealt with and removed, or the ultimate result will be death. Thankfully, like the point number two says, that's where confession and repentance comes in and helps us with our sin problem. Let's go back to that passage. Verse eight in 1 John chapter one says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, John wrote that because they were deceiving themselves. They were listening to the Gnostics saying, don't worry about sin, it's not a big deal. And John was saying, yes it is, it's a big deal, it'll keep you out of heaven. But then he goes on in verse nine, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he goes at it again, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, confession, let's talk about confession for a second. Do you know what confession is? You know, we talk about, again, that at church, and I, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what that means. Confession simply means agreeing with God that what you did was wrong and against his word and against his will for your life. It means agreeing with God that my selfish actions, my selfish attitudes, my harsh and cutting words were wrong and sinful, and then along with that comes an attitude of repentance. Repentance is simple to understand. It means you're walking this way, you go, oops, that's not the best way to go. God wants me to go this way. And you turn and you start walking back this way. That's what repentance is. And I love Psalm 103 verse 10. It says this, he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Did you know that God is merciful? And one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible says this, 
Micah 7, 18 and 19, it says this, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You know, I love that phrase. It's like God is sitting on the edge of his seat saying, come on, just agree with me that what you did, what you said, how you felt, your attitude was sin. Confess that. And as soon as you do, he's like, yeah, forgiveness is on its way. I love that. He delights to show, it delights him to show mercy. And so we must recognize, too, that confessing our sin to God cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's like wiping the chalkboard clean and starting again with a fresh slate. Who's grateful for that kind of mercy that God gives us today? A few of you. How many people are, are thankful for the mercy of God today? I am. Because if he took our sins as it was, the moment we sin, gone, see ya. None of us would be here. But we're here because of his mercy, right? And then there's this one little small phrase in verse nine that makes this truth even much more what we should celebrate, and that is this. Who's doing it? Who's doing the cleansing? He is. It describes him as being faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Thank goodness. Because if it was up to us, would we be faithful and righteous? Unfortunately not. So God is the faithful one, not us. He's the one doing the work to forgive us when we confess and then we live a life of repentance. Now let's keep going in our passage here to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for those of the whole world. Now you can hear John's compassionate heart there, right? My dear children. I, I imagine John like a grandfather at this point in his life. He's saying, I've been through a lot. I wanna help you guys walk in the truth, not be led astray. And so he makes it clear. I'm writing these things so that you don't sin, but if you do sin, praise God, we have someone speaking to the Father in our defense. And point number three on your outline is Jesus is the perfect advocate for every believer. In other words, Jesus acts as our defense lawyer in God's courtroom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he graciously becomes your defender in God's eyes, meaning that when we sin, and yes, Christians do sin, Jesus Christ says, I paid for that. That's taken care of. Yeah, I paid for that. And that's exactly what Romans 8 one says, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Really important truth to know. There's no condemnation if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because Jesus took it all. And that's what that word, let's say it together, propitiation. Oh, come on, we can say it better than that. Propitiation. Okay, now apologize to the person in front of you because you probably just spit on them a little bit, you know? Propitiation. <laughs> But that's what it means. His death on the cross was payment for sin, and as a result, forgiveness could be credited to someone else's account. It could be credited to our account. His death turned away the wrath from us and brought it completely onto Jesus Christ. And that's why when we come to the table of communion and remember, we understand that Jesus took all of the wrath of God on himself so that we wouldn't have to take on that wrath, that we could live in freedom 
I love this passage in 1 John. A little bit later, chapter 5, John says, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He makes it so clear. And John, I like his, his simple writing at times. I can relate to that. And let me say one last thing before we move into the last part of our message. That last phrase on uh, verse 2, it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. Now, don't misunderstand. The Apostle Paul here is not teaching universalism, that Jesus' death on the cross saves everyone, every human on the planet. That's not what he means there. But what he does mean is that the price that Jesus paid is available for everyone who wants to receive it. First, or John chapter 1, verse 12 says it so clear. Yet to all who have received him, who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's like a Christmas gift. Have you ever given a gift to someone and you're not really sure whether they opened it or not? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Some people, they, they're like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the information. Appreciate it. But they never received the gift. They left it unopened. I hope that's not you today. I hope you're not going, yeah, this is good stuff, but I'm going to walk right out and not have Jesus Christ save me from my own sin. I hope that's not you. So, Two important questions to ask as we close now. Number one is this. Have you confessed your sin to God and received forgiveness through Jesus Christ? If you have never confessed your sin and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, why not today? Why not right now? There's really no reason to wait another moment. He gave everything for you so that you could be with him, dwelling in his perfect holy light, covered you can decide right now to receive that great exchange, the propitiation, his perfect life for our sin-filled life. And if you're ready to do that, I encourage, to, encourage you to talk with someone about your decision. You can talk to me afterwards. I'll be right up front so that you can get started on the right foot with a new life in Christ. Number two, Christians, if you're a believer in Christ, this question is for us. Are you walking in his light or are you walking in darkness? Now, only you and the Lord can answer that question, and it's pretty easy for us to fool each other, right? From week to week, we come on to church, say, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, when really, we're in turmoil. There's stuff in our life that's like, that's not walking in the light. But let me encourage you today, the playing field is level. None of us is better than anybody else here. We all struggle with sin. And all the more, that is why we need each other to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to hold each other accountable through difficulties of life, especially dealing with sin. So I want to take the next couple moments, just ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, see if there's something in our hearts that needs to be dealt with, and then we'll prepare for communion. So I'll close in just a moment with prayer, and I'll call the elders forward for communion.